0: The Friday Reporter launched in March of 2021 as a conversation with today's journalists and has expanded to include newsmakers, lawmakers, image makers, and just about anybody who's in the news or the news adjacent business. The podcast is in partnership with PR Daily and is part of the Big Wig Podcast Network. If you like the show, please hit the subscribe button to make sure you've got ready access to the latest conversation. And if you've got an idea for a great guest, Don't forget to send your ideas to lisa at fridayreporter.com. So thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Today's guest is Mark Penn, who is the chairman and CEO of Stagwell Inc., but also a best-selling author, senior executive previous uh, to Microsoft, advisor to presidents, prime ministers, and, and so many others. Mark, it is absolutely my privilege to have you as a guest today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, I know that you are. uh, I have a a half a dozen questions, but I know that you're on the ground today at probably the biggest tech trade uh, show. It's impossible to even sort of call it just a show because it's so much. Um, CES is the Consumer Technology Association's big show that they do every year. I know you guys are in Las Vegas. Um, But before I get to that, I I really want to talk to you for a minute about how in the world you got started in the world of polling and advising. And if I'm not mistaken, you may have at one time even gotten yourself into hot water as a young man uh, kicking off a poll in the the very uh, small, maybe school newspaper. Tell me a little bit about your background, Mark, if you will.
1: Sure. You know, I I guess there aren't that many kids that had polling as a hobby. Uh, but, But I became fascinated by it. When I saw a program on CBS about race relations in America, and uh, I was in, of course, like seventh grade, and, and I did a poll of my faculty. And when it came to race relations, they were somewhat more progressive than the rest of the country, more knowledgeable. And so I actually have the results of my very first poll, you know, that I did at about age 13 or 14. Uh, and I said, well, this is really fascinating. You can really find out how people are thinking, and you don't even have to talk to them. Uh, <laughs> so uh, later on, when I edited the high school paper, I did a poll, and I said, well, okay, how much sex and drugs have you all had? And uh, and, I, I, and I published it. And then my apparently the trustees of my high school, which was a private school, didn't really like that particularly. <laughs> <laughs> and they thought, oh my God, thirty-eight percent have used drugs. There, nobody's going to come to our school. So uh, I, I always joke that I'm the only person you know of that almost got in big, big trouble because of a poll uh, that they did. It, it, even at Harvard, I annoyed the administration. They used to keep secret like where people wanted to live and where all the images were. I just showed up at the dining rooms and did a poll.
0: <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> hilarious! It the,
1: the next day, and they just went crazy. <laughs>
0: So you've been an agitator for, for most of your life, it sounds like, and that's fantastic because I think even now in the role that you are today, that's so much of what people seek you out for, right? So you're on the ground with the with the tech industry, and I'm curious, I mean, the world has changed so much since you got started, and I have a question about polling in general as we sort of get into this, but what kinds of advice are you giving as you're on the ground there, to, to te- the tech industry as it relates to um, either, you know, not only how they approach um, their work today as it's evolved, but as we look into 24 and we look to this presidential, what kinds of advice and counsel are you giving tech companies about uh, how to approach this?
1: Well, you know, first, I mean, I'm a long-term tech enthusiast, uh, you know, I built my first uh, PC as a kit, uh, and we had overnight lane And I've been coming to CES here for, oh, like 25 years at least. And I wow. used to have the privilege of working with Bill Gates on finishing up his keynote just before he, he went out. Awesome. So it was really an incredible vantage point. Uh, you know, look, I think today uh, tech is is and I hate to be cliche, but they are on the dawn of a new age, right? Yeah. There is, like, we were we were beginning to wonder, like, what's going to be the next big development? You know, how much cheaper can screens get? How much brighter can our phones get? Uh, and nothing was really changing much, right? And now I think generative and predictive AI have come along, and they present... Uh, they present for the tech industry both uh, unlimited opportunity, uh, both to uh, revolutionize life yet again and to get into huge trouble. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: And that's the question I was going to get to, because I feel like so many of them are really, they're walking a tightrope, right? I mean, so much of it is about innovation and thoughtful development, but also too, there is uh, a real fine line that they have to walk because so many now are questioning and asking about the work that they do. So getting into trouble, really keeping them out of trouble is probably a big piece of that as well.
1: Well, it's interesting when I was at Microsoft, we had a, we had a bot that simulated, you know, conversation and it was a huge hit in China. And they said, "Oh, we're going to bring that to the US." And I said, you know, there are a lot of ethical issues. Mm. And they went ahead and brought it to the US. Within 4 days, it had learned to spout out racial epithets and had to be removed. Oh my. So <laughs> so and and you know, it just kind of tells you how wrong this technology can go and it can go very quickly. I mean, Look, if you give technology a car to operate, it can drag a person under a wheel and not really know what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you let uh, technology speak to people, you know it can take a suicidal person and drive them over the edge. Right? It can talk somebody into doing something that you that you wouldn't believe. So the the dangers here, you know, are come a long way from using AI to help you order a. A Starbucks without having to specify. There, there's so many routine things here that will be helpful with AI. But when you get to the super sophisticated and advanced stuff, it is dangerous, yeah. and and it can really get out of control in ways that one that one can, cannot and do, and, do, and do not anticipate. Yeah.
0: Mark, talk to me a little bit about uh, about Stagwell and what it is the work that you guys do. Uh, and, and it's I know it's multifaceted. I know it's just about everywhere. You have a finger on just about everything that's happening um, in the communication and the messaging space um, in so many ways. Can you talk to me a little bit about Stagwell and who you are and what you're doing there?
1: Sure. Um, I'm gonna say I I was at Microsoft, and uh, after Steve Ballmer kind of left, you know, being being CEO, he said to me, that idea you told me one day about creating a, a new marketing company that would be digital first, I'll be your core investor. I like working with you. And so uh, Sacha had me stay another year, but then in September 15, 2015, uh, I started Stagwell, uh, with an investment for me and Steve, and uh, with an assistant, and uh, today we're twelve thousand people. Wow! Uh, we basically are about the eighth largest marketing communications company in the world. We're in thirty-four countries, and the idea was to was to do it better than the than the bigger holding companies had been doing it by being, you know, digital digital first, less bureaucratic, more mm. collaborative. Um, and and we really if you think about modern marketing right modern marketing is about having research and insights it's it's about really then uh having a digital transformative experience right in which you connect with consumers now more likely through technology than through people yeah right and building that experience right and and third it's it's having kind of a creative, you know, really kind of really interesting third or fourth generation creativity. And fourth, you have to then, I think, acquire and reach people through the various digital channels. And so those four tasks, right, the, the research and insights, the digital transformation, the, the creativity and the, and the placing of the media are the four primary jobs that really are done at Stagwell on a global basis. And so our goal is to be global full service, but we also have a series of really fascinating tech products carrying some of my tradition of Microsoft over, but also believing that, you know, the taking the technology and using it both internally and making it available to those people who want to do it themselves is an important part of, you know, sorting out how marketing works today. Yeah.
0: The one perspective that I have, and I'm I'm based here in Washington DC, so I'm familiar with several of your uh, folks here in Washington, the the various platforms. Is that, and this is not a knock on the other companies. I do I it does it's not lost on me that you've done a very nice job of, of acquiring companies and allowing them to do the work in the way that you like them to like them enough to bring them under the Stagwell umbrella to keep that portfolio to keep that persona and really that reputation that they have. And that's really, I think the one thing that stands out from my colleagues here inside Washington is that you've really done a great job at that. So when I go to the folks at uh, the various platforms, and I'm not here to advertise for any of them, but I like a lot of those, very, those folks very much. Um, I love that they each have their own different personality and I'll seek them out for different kinds of work because of the way that they do it. And they don't necessarily do it in a way that is uh, all one under a cookie cutter setup, it's really sort of still their unique offering, but as part of that, um, that umbrella organization that you've built. And it's, it's impressive to my team here in Washington, DC. We really do appreciate that very much.
1: Well, I mean, thank you for, for noticing that because because I think my philosophy on that was that I, I, when we you know bring companies you know into the fold, they generally have a certain personality or certain expertise. And we try to bring only companies in that we really think work with a list clients, even if they have small portions of those clients, because we think they can, we can, you know, with our backing grow those clients or have greater depth, but it's very important. They've developed a certain character, certain culture, certain techniques, and they're also going to hire people who are the best in those things. And so if we smush them together, that, that becomes, you know, a lot muddier. So we we rarely do the the smushing. Yes. Uh, and 90% of the time, we, we kind of let people kind of do that with the proviso that they can't be an island. That right. They have to collaborate with the other companies because if you're going to be an expert in, say, corporate research, somebody here is an expert in how to run a campaign and somebody over there is an expert on how to acquire digital media... Either I have to smush you together, which I don't want to do, or you have to work together. Sure. And I also do a lot of things where we promote what I found in the other holding companies was they didn't really know each other. Mm-hmm. And, and our folks know each other. They meet with each other. They talk to each other sure. on a regular basis. And then they trust each other. And that enables them to work on a, both an individualistic basis to draw out their talents and on a collaborative basis to say, well, we really are an expert at this and you're an expert at that. Let's bring this together.
0: Yeah. And you know, the other thing too, Uh, is that everybody, there's plenty of firms in Washington that try to be a little bit of everything to everyone. And that never really works. But the beauty about the way that you've done this is that you do have teams that are experts in, you know, targeting and, and you have teams that are experts in public affairs, and they dovetail together well, but they don't try to be something for everyone. And that I think really, from the client side, really works out in a way that is, I think, it's really unique, and it's really important. But before we get too far into this conversation, we're, we're looking at 2024. You've been at polling for a very, very long time. It continues to be a a challenge and, um, and a, and a difficult way to it, it's becoming more difficult to harness sentiment and understand better about how people are thinking you as the expert in this field. Talk to me a little bit, how you're looking into 24, um, and, and what's new, what do you see on the horizon? What are the kinds of things that you're looking for as we get into this really busy election season?
1: Sure. And, uh, Just before I move on to that, I'll I'll put a little bow on the other topic and say, one of the things we recently created is called the Risk and Reputation Group, in which I took our Democrats, our Republicans, our investor advisors, and our polling company. And I said, you know, if a company is going to win their way through issues, the problem and the mistake they make is they get somebody from one party or another. Uh, And we're going to give them a group of both parties. Mm -hmm somebody who understands financial communications and yeah. somebody who can do the polling, put them together as a group yeah. and say, they're going to give you the best chance yeah, right, of smart. being able to maneuver through these difficult circumstances. Sure. Uh, and and so, but when I look to 2024, uh, you know, I, I think America is going to make a decision here. Mm. <laughs> Right. I don't think it's going to be a 10,000 vote election. I think they're going to, you know, first of all, I do believe that there's never a primary season without some unexpected events. Joe Biden was the unexpected event the last primary season. Yeah. He was this, he was out. Yeah. He had lost New Hampshire. He had lost Iowa. He, He was like, Oh my God. It's like, they were going on every day. Well, I guess he's dropping out now, right? Oh, and okay. and so the, everyone like w- loves to do this, you know. And I, I kind of warned people that political predictions are super hazardous, particularly at this phase, right? And nobody oh. knew Jimmy Carter was going to be be president. Nobody thought Barack Obama was going to be president at this point. Nobody, uh, nobody thought Bill Clinton was going to be president against like George. So politics is more uncertain than it appears. Mm. So there is going to be some event. We don't know. Will it be Nikki Haley in New Hampshire? Will Will it be Joe Biden, uh, you know, stumbles uh, somewhere? Will Donald Trump do something oh, even I mean. that, you know, we don't expect one of these things is going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One thing I can point. tell you about yeah. uh, certainty in politics is there is not. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then having said that if there is, if you do wind up with this kind of Biden Trump choice um, I don't know which way the country's going to go mm. are they going to they, they they don't like Biden yeah. as president and and they don't you know they don't really want the return of uh, Donald Trump either and and so this is a choice that you know 40% in each party wants but the middle Twenty percent really doesn't want this choice, and 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 are they going to say I'm going to vote for somebody I think is too old and can't finish a term and wasn't a good president, or are they going to vote for somebody they think is kind of crazy and you know wouldn't leave office and try to uh, uh, and is indicted by you know four courts? I, I, I'm telling you, this is I I just actually think one one party or the other is going to win decisively. At the end of the day, if they if that turns out to be the, the case for the argument or, you know, third parties, uh, I, I third parties could come in here
0: and they so? would
1: have a very, very fertile ground uh, if the parties dig in on these choices that uh, that all of the swing voters really don't want.
0: That's so interesting. Talk to me a little bit about about that. Right. Because there is a little bit of a. There's a scratching of the heads this year. There's a, a lot of folks sort of wondering if, and we, we've seen this before, we, we've been at this for a while, um, there have been other third-party candidates that have stepped into the arena and have gotten involved and have um, gotten people excited, those people in the, in the middle that, are, that had just about enough of the right and the left. Do, you do see a lane? Is there a possibility for a third-party entry into this election?
1: Well, my wife runs an organization called No Labels, so I have to declare. <laughs> Fair, any, enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Not running no labels. Yeah. I'm doing Tom Curry. Sure. Uh on this thing. I, I did do Ross Perot's Benchmark. Uh, okay. That's Center that's Bowl. the third party play.
0: guy I was thinking of.
1: call <laughs> uh, for John Anderson. Uh, okay, if you go way back and I remember that look, too. I, I, it, it, people are unhappy with the, the condition of the country yeah they are unhappy with the democrats they're unhappy with the republicans they are unhappy with biden they're unhappy with trump so you tell me does that add up to a, 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 another opening of a lane here okay again and the, you know the improbable in politics is improbable until it happens sure. who thought donald coming down a stairway or an escalator <laughs> to be accurate yeah. was I ever going to be present in the United States
0: uh, yeah okay. and here we are today with a, i mean it's a no one could have predicted where we'd be sitting right now and but you have been really a soothsayer i mean you've really seen ahead of the curve on a lot of different races whether or not it's predictable or not um but you've been also at this polling thing for a long time and polling itself has changed so much how is it, you're sitting, in, you're sitting in the center of technology and, and the people that are sort of coming up with these ideas, are you seeing or hearing or uh, watching any trends as it relates to harnessing sentiment and getting a sense of where people are? Because uh, polling itself has been really challenged.
1: Well, I don't really think polling has been challenged. Okay. I'm, polling, questioning, and polling analysis has been a week. Okay. Uh, how many people realize when I was actually doing presidential race polling, I had a model of voter turnout. I had a model of the electoral college. I had polls in 29 states. I had daily overnight polls. I had resources commensurate with the project. Yeah. And people think they can ask a question or two, oh, who are you voting for? Do you like this candidate or not? And understand America and the trends and counter trends. Right. You know, you, you you could look at this, you know, you could look at this election and in some of the elections, like, you know, a change of Cubans in Florida turned out to be pivotable when Barack Obama, you know, move. There are so many trends and counter trends that you really have to understand to do do an expert job as mm. opposed to what I call an armchair job. Right. Uh, and many people try to do an armchair job mm. at this now that I'm a little bit more in commentary, I I also know the limits of that compared to having the real resources, right, that, that you really should have sure. to, to be. But the most important thing, and, and you know, and I, I do a monthly poll on a pro bono basis called the, you know, the Harvard Caps Harris Poll. And the idea was simply to go in depth at issues the way I used to do it for the president, which means that you ask a lot of questions on each side. And what people i think miss are the trends and counter trends that really produce the produce the result right yeah. and the moment of those trends you know that that are underneath and so uh and the and the important de- demographic changes that go back to when i identified something like soccer moms right Or, you know uh, the rise of the professional uh class or, or you know the biggest trend now would be how young people have disconnected you know, from the other generations, right. In, 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 you know, the 18 to 24 group, you know, as evidenced by some of the polling that I've done on the, uh, on the Israel situation shows that they're in a completely different bubble uh, than, than really the rest of the generations. In, yeah. in a way that I think people haven't noticed.
0: I know you're really passionate about that, Mark. And I'm curious about that in particular, about that young set that has really had, for the first time in, in as long as we can remember, maybe in our big part, a big chunk of our lifetime anyway, there's a change in young sentiment towards the conflict in the Middle East. What is your take on that? How do you what do you take away from that?
1: Well, uh, and, you know, I had a simple question. Are you more with Israel or more with Hamas? Mm. And uh, that question came out about 80-20 uh, for, with, with Israel. And for over 65, it was 95-5. Wow! But no, I looked at it 18 to 24. It was approximately 50-50. Hmm. Okay. Now, it wasn't 95 the other way, but 50-50 explained what you saw in the campuses. Yeah. And, and but then I probed like, you know, who do you think's democratic? Who do you think is o- OK with gays and lesbians? Most of the people who picked Hamas thought Hamas was OK with all that.
0: Oh, is that right? So,
1: there's a level of misinformation being disconnected I mean, you're you're 18 1920 you maybe you know have you taken any trips at all probably not to the mideast
0: yeah right
1: do you really understand the the history of of the conflict and what happened in 1948 and do you really connect it well obviously the, the people in the in the oldest generations, have a set of experiences radically different. Right. And a set of information. You know, now one of the books that had an influence on me uh, when I was going into polling was called Rebellion in the University by Seymour Martin Lipset. And and the thesis of that book was that people change through life as they get more life experiences. And everybody who's over 65 who was in that cohort, well, they were, you know, they were in the generation that was upsetting things in the campuses, you know, back when they were on the campuses. Right. Sure. So there, There is generally, you know, a pattern of, of change over time. But still, you know, then I, I asked, you know, a majority of the people 18 to 24 believe an oppressor oppressed ideology. 79 percent of them believe that whites are oppressors. And 67% said that Jews as a class are oppressors. Oh wow. So uh and again, total disconnect, you know, there's a little spillover into those under 30. Sure. But then like total disconnect after that, right? In terms of and and so will this, you know, is this a new ideology that will kind of govern how the country's run? Is it something that will be in retreat uh because I think it's been, you know, brought to light? and what the implications are. Uh, I think this is a kind of a big conflict that's going to play itself out in the next 10 or 15 years.
0: Do you find too, though, Mark, that they are gathering their information from different news sources and different platforms? Because I feel like that's another piece that people are talking about too. Like the older set are getting their information maybe from traditional news outlets, whereas this younger group are getting their information online and other places.
1: Well, even older people get a lot of information from online. Yeah, I guess you're right but uh you know getting information from uh the new york post and the wall street uh-huh. Journal is a lot different from your favorite TikTok tock influencer right uh, you know look the 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 biggest platform with growing influence among younger people is tick tock and uh and, and and i think that uh you know that that is a stunning fact and what the impact of that but i don't know if it's it's social media and i point out that in you know, we're here at CES, and I always say that everything at CES was either uh, you could find it in Star Trek or the Jetsons. <laughs> uh, and the only thing that was not predicted, and so interesting, in any book, paper, novel that I know of, was social media. Right? Yeah. And, no kidding. And, and it's and its influence, right? Mm-hmm. And and how how it would work. No one even theorized. That it could be, you know, a divisive influence that would carry, you know, information that would be of such a strong influence to a younger generation that really didn't have that many life experiences outside of school. So, um, but now that everybody knows this, will counter information come up. will you know. Will there be a battle for the hearts and minds of, of those on the campuses? Clearly, campus administrations are going to undergo some change here. Uh, they're and, happening and before our eyes.
0: Just, <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: it's been an incredible awakening uh, for people for the for the presidents to have hemmed and hawed about what happens if somebody calls for genocide of Jews on your campus.
0: Right. Right. It's been. Um the last few years on every issue. And and, and it's remarkable to me that your earliest poll was about race relations. And here we are today now, several years after that having a similar discussion, uh, as we get to the end of our 30 minutes Mark, um, I'm curious, uh, is there something in if somebody like you that's so well informed that ha, that does do with this monthly poll? That's involved with so many smart communicators. Is there something that you're reading every day? Is there a resource that you think that that our listeners would find useful? Somewhere that you go to and feel like okay, I've got I've got my information that I need. Is there a whether it's a columnist or someone that you find to be a really good
1: resource? Um, you know, I, I believe in kind of scanning about six to eight. You know, I must say, when when I was working with the president, we didn't have all the social media. Right. And when you're working with the president, you have to follow everything that's going on because yeah. anything could blow up on you. Yes. And so it was exhausting. <laughs> and and then when I was out of working with the president, I was like, oh, my God, this is great. I don't have Freeing. to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, but now I love doing it. right? And kind of so, you know, I'm going to look at six or eight sources, right? Because when you look at you're going to. You're going to look at the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. I love Real Clear Politics, you know, which we're also just remade the Real Clear Politics site, right? The, not the site itself, but the polling part. We yeah. we just completely redid it and, and 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 reissued it, you know. And so, you know, I and I'll, I'll hop over to the Wall Street Journal edit, editorial, you know, page. I'll check out the New York Post. If you're not reading the New York Post, you don't know what. <laughs> what most people really think is going on yeah uh and, and you know and then you, you know maybe check out cnn.com and, and i i just think you you know i just there's so much of kind of interest to kind of read and absorb and in in a country where campaigns have devolved into you know negative attack ads there's actually never been more interesting columns right, in which people present their views back and forth, you know, available and accessible on so many topics. And so, you know, I, I like to read all the arguments back and forth and then formulate, use that to formulate the poll of, the, the poll question. So oh, that's my good answer is no one source. A
0: little bit uh, of everything. Yeah.
1: And, and I think that get in one source, that's a danger.
0: Well, and that's totally true. I t- and I absolutely agree. I think that as much as the the industry of news is shrinking, there is a real wealth of smart and thoughtful commentary that's out there. Uh, So I think rather than shifting Excuse me, rather than shrinking, it's shifting in a way that we're seeing right before our eyes. as i as I get to the end of my conversation, Mark, the hardest question I always ask is for a recommendation for a future guest for the show. Is there someone you think might be a future guest for the podcast? Is there someone that you think might be an interesting uh, guest to have in the future? Could be someone well, from uh, your we, Stagwell we team.
1: Did a dinner last night with uh, we did a dinner last night with uh, uh, Linda Yacarino from from X. And uh, you know, and the work that she's doing to uh you know re- re- revive and reinvigorate kind of the platform. And I think I think she she would be a fascinating guest in terms of in terms of what she's doing. And uh I used to joke, I said I said, I used to work for the world's richest person and kind of knew I worked for the president and for Bill Gates. And I said, Well, Bill Gates always wanted to be the second richest person. Uh <laughs> Because uh, he got too much attention as the world's richest person. I said, well, now you work for the world's richest yeah, person. The pressure's uh, off. <laughs> what is that What is that like? So uh, I, I think she's doing some, some fascinating work. Awesome.
0: Well, Mark, thanks so much. And have a great rest of your uh, conference there. Have a lot of success. Wish you well. And uh, thanks again for being a guest of the show. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I love having this show. I love you to be part of it. Thanks again. Thanks to PR Daily for being a partner. And thanks to the folks at Big Wig Podcast for letting us be part of their network. See you soon.